Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Interviews with Avatar. My name is Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at CryptoGhost2. If you're new to this podcast, this podcast is a podcast designed to get to the people to know the people behind the Twitter accounts that you interact with on a daily basis. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, he is a guy who he's a Gardner Minshew stand, uh, and he's very <laughs> analytical. Uh, and it is Mr. Cassidy. Cassidy, how are you doing today, man? Uh, just dreaming about Gardner M- Minshew's <laughs> mullet and mustache right now. I-, I always forget, man. I just, I love that dude so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a baller, man. I'm, I'm surprised that he's stuck in a, you know, like a backup role in Philly of all places, you know, that, that hurt me so bad when he played versus Dallas, I believe. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, he can't do well right now, but I want him to do well. <laughs> yeah. So where can, where can we find you at? Uh, uh, you know, Twitter, podcast, YouTube, if you have that. So always, man, Twitter's like my big thing now that I'm on like 90% of the time, just scrolling. It's just the Cassidy Ace 89. So just C-A-S-S-I-D-Y Ace, A-C-E. That's my middle name and the number's 89. And then I'm also uh, on Twitter. We're at NFC East Unfiltered. So it's just East Unfiltered is the Twitter. Uh, but we're primarily on Podbean there called NFC East Unfiltered, uh, but we are also on Stitch, Spotify, all the good Apple, iTunes, all that good stuff, but mainly they're on Podbean. Nice. So uh, let's, let's, get, let's get this thing kicked off here. Tell us a little bit about yourself growing up, where you live, and you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, man. So growing up, uh, I did grow up in Washington State. I know people love to go, oh, Washington, it rains a lot there. But I actually live on the east side of Washington, which is a desert. And not yeah. many people know that that aren't from around here or been here. Uh, you actually hit like all four major climates if you go diagonally through Washington, rainforest, tundra, desert, you know, all the good stuff. Uh, but I was born in Great Falls, Montana, back in 1989. Moved to Washington State when I was five. Uh, grew up in the Tri-Cities, which is uh, about two hours from uh, Spokane and is probably where people would know the next big city mm-hmm. and then it's about four hours from Seattle we live in the southeast corner there uh, by Oregon Idaho border pretty much and then from there man I just lived here till I was 17 I graduated at 17 from Richland High uh, and then I went to the Air Force man at the age of 17 uh, joined the military spent five years there had to get out and I, I will get into that I, I saw so I uh, had to get out and then I moved back to the Tri-Cities and I won't give the whole military thing away because we're going to get into that, but I lived all over the world, man. And then I came back here to Eastern Washington uh, and I've been here ever since, man. And I got out March 31st, 2012. So Eastern Washington for life is where it's at. We're like a mini Texas. So I know we have a lot of cowboy fans that both follow us because obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a mini Texas. We have a large Hispanic population. It's very dry. Uh, most of the small towns are red. Uh, big cities are blue. Yeah. So Seattle, Dallas, those are all blue. You know, uh, San Antonio, things like that. Austin, especially for Texas. Uh, but we yeah, here Seattle, Olympia, all blue. So we're we're the mini Texas, just not as big. Yeah. So like, do you, do you remember a lot growing up in great, I'm trying to think where great falls is that, is that on the West side of the state there? Yeah, not, uh, not as far West, but I don't remember a lot. I remember glimpses and I've been back once or twice just to see what it's like. 
because my dad was born there back in 66. Mm -hmm. My younger sister was born there in 92. Um, my mom was actually born in Spokane here in the eastern side of Washington. And it, all I remember is how cold it was <laughs> in the winters, and, but, but how beautiful the woods are. Um, but that's about it, man. I remember a couple kids things at some houses, but not a lot. It's a big meth city, a lot of meth addicts crackheads, um, big military presence, uh, the bases there. That's pretty much all that was there <laughs> mm -hmm. for the longest time, missile silos, things of that nature. But yeah, man, um, mostly just Washington. Uh, I, I used to say I was from Montana. Now it's kind of like, yeah, I'm from Eastern Washington because I've spent 70% of my life here. Yeah. I, when I graduated high school, we, me and two buddies, we drove to Washington because we had a uh, we were in like that young life group, the Christian group called young life. Okay. And, and one of our leaders, uh, he went to Bowling Green state university, but he moved back out West. He lived in Bellevue. Uh, okay. so, so we, we drove all the way. So I know what you're talking about, like going through everything, you know, down to there. And then actually, um, one of my best friends from the military, he, they live in tri cities right now. Uh, oh, dang. Yeah. Uh, their, their last name is Bardell's. I know she's like a photographer and whatnot, but no, I, I've did the Bardell's I've heard yeah. the name. Yeah. yeah. And his, I think his parents own like a blueberry farm or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Knoxbury. No, it's not Knoxbury. I can't think okay. of the name though, but yeah, but, but dude, there's, yeah. The thing about the Tri-Cities, so we, it's Pasco, Richland, West Richland, Kennewick, Bend City. It's called the Tri-Cities because it used to be only like three major cities, mm -hmm. but everything's about 20 minutes apart via highway at most it, but we've grown 20% in the last 10 years. It's uh, Franklin County has been in the top 10 growing counties last like five years. And it's becoming like a Spokane-esque like area, but everybody knows everybody through mm. one person or another person. Um, so that I'm sure I've, your buddies seen them, known them somehow in the Tri-Cities, yeah. especially because we're about the same age, I think. Yep. Yeah. I think he's, yeah, he's, I think he's about 30. Yeah. So yeah. like, so you said like you've got, you guys have grown. Is that more like uh, the cost of living is low or people moving from the, the big cities out just rural? Yeah. So uh, shout out to our buddy, Mass. He can tell his buddies from California to stop moving here because dude, everybody just thinks like I'm going to move to Washington because it's cheap, but I'll give you the example. We bought our house. It's about 2,700 square feet two years ago in May mm -hmm. for $363,000. We could sell it for $550,000 right now. Mm. And it's ridiculous because of the market. And that's how it's gone. So not just population-wise, but everything. There's two big Amazon warehouses coming that are being built right now, like huge, like Seattle-like. Um, so it's just population and everything. Like where I live in West Pasco, this wasn't here when I was in high school. None of it. The only thing that was out here was a bar, the baseball stadium, the track, which is like a event center. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, two gas stations and that was it and a bunch of farmland so it's huge now it it blows my mind like I look at it and I'm like I can't believe we went from like nothing to all this yeah so and, you're you're also by trade like a finance guy but we'll get to that later so like do you see yeah. the bubble popping soon <laughs> yeah and people don't realize that man and that's not even like a plug for anything it's like if you're not prepared uh, some areas won't be hit. Like, I, I don't know if you heard about like Hanford where the plutonium and stuff for the atomic bombs were made. That's why mm -hmm. Richland exists. It's this area I live in. Okay. Uh, Tri-Cities because uh, they were building the, you know, 
the bomb, helping the Manhattan Project, and that's why we're around here. Actually, my high school mascot, the Richland Bombers, the day's pay is the mascot, and our mushroom cloud is on everything. It's controversial for other people, but, and I get it to a degree, yeah. but it's like when you're from here, and that's like why we exist, and you went to the high school, and you're like, you know, we stopped saying certain things like Nukem and stuff like that, but <laughs> um yeah, it's it was a small town, man. Um, but yeah, it's gonna it doesn't pop as much here because we're in our own little bowl. Mm-hmm. But yeah, country wise, man, we've already seen it. You can't it, finance wise, you can't pump what five trillion dollars into an economy that was at zero percent federal interest rate, yeah. and now we're at 0.75. There's nowhere to go down to help the common person. It's it's gonna be rough for a lot of people, uh, and a lot of people are gonna lose a lot of retirement money if it's not in a, yeah. like an index account or something. Yeah. So, uh, you said, so you, uh, you moved to Washington about the age of five, you play any sports growing up? Absolutely dude. Baseball. Um, I hate watching baseball on Same. TV. <laughs> I'm also a Mariners fan with our girl cam, but it's, uh, it's rough. We're actually now besides the Browns, cause they made it to the playoffs a couple of years ago. Finally, uh, longest sports franchise to not make the playoffs since 2001 mm. when we had the record setting year and we still got bounced the first year the Mariners our first round uh, against the Yankees of all people every time but yeah baseball man I made the all-star team every year for baseball I played second base uh, pitched in right field if I would have had self-discipline and practiced more instead of just relying on natural ability I probably could have gone to college for it um, outside of that, I dabbled in football, but I was a tiny guy in high school. I was like five, 10, 135, 140 pounds. Yeah. So receiver was probably really the only realistic option. And I was just like, I'm, I just, I never put the effort into it, even though football is my thing now. Like I so many, like, that's all I've lived for is fantasy football and real football. Yeah. And, uh, and then basketball, I sucked it off in. Uh, but I did win defensive player of the year on my team because I was good at shadowing and guarding people. I just wasn't good at handling the ball. So uh, baseball was really the main one. I played that my entire life until I left for the military. And then I played softball still afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you're coming through high school. You said you joined the military at 17. So you had to get a waiver for that, right? Yeah, because I, I graduated at 17. So first things first, you got to have your diploma or GED. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my birthday just happened to be, I didn't turn 18 till two and a half months after I graduated. Um, so both my parents did sign uh, the waiver to let me go. And it was funny because my mom, who I thought would be the one like, oh, I don't want my baby boy because I'm the firstborn. Um, I don't want him to go. She was like, absolutely. Because I come from a very poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like my childhood upbringing itself wasn't bad, but we were poor. It was rough. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 12, but uh, she was stoked. My dad, on the other hand, was like, didn't want me to go. And I told him, I was like, dad, once I turn 18, you can't stop me. And I'm going to sign. Um, because for me, I net, and I was going to say this before later, I know we're going to talk about joining which branch. But when I was a, what 10th grade, I remember having a conversation with my buddy because uh, 9-11 had just happened about five years prior, mm-hmm. uh, four and a half. Um, I graduated in 2007. So by the time the war officially was deploying everybody, it wasn't too long. Um, and I was like, 10th grade, I was like, no, nah, man, I, I'll move to a different, I'm going to Canada, man. Like, I, I'm not getting drafted for anybody and bullshit. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> the very next year, man, I started drinking at a very young age. My dad was a party animal. Didn't, you know, that's part of the reason they weren't with my mom after I was 12. But um, I started drinking at like 13, 14. And I drank all throughout high school, like easily. I, my dad got it for us. So it's not like I had to go ask someone else. Like, my dad was, sure, cool. What do you want? Um, and I knew if I went to college, because I was a naturally A and B student, even though I, you know, was one of the guys who didn't care after a while about going to school, even though I did, I just relied on natural abilities and then became a teacher eventually, ironically. Um, I knew if I went to college, I was going to be way too into partying and probably drop out because mm -hmm. I didn't go to class. So I was like, I have to do something. And what job am I going to get? I was working at Pizza Hut when I was graduating high school. And I was like, there's no way. And then I was like, dude, the military is the way to go. So that's pretty much why uh, I was like, dude, if I go to college, they'll pay for it. And every day, every two weeks, I get a paycheck, the first and the 15th. So I tested well on the ASVAB, scored like an 87. And for those who don't know, that it goes up to 99. Yep. Um, and he showed me a video of the job. And I was like, that looks badass. Got a guaranteed spot. So they couldn't put me in open general because yeah. I didn't want to be some sort of security forces slash like cook. <laughs> um, so, so I went in, man, and I, best decision I ever made because I think it changed a lot of trajectory of where I would have been. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you say you're going to join the Air Force. Was it always the Air Force or were you have any other branches in play for you? The Navy had a small shot, um, but it uh, we all know if you pay attention to anything that the Army gets made fun of the most for being the dumbest, which I don't know if that's them or the Marines. Um, but uh, I think I think requirement wise, the lowest is the army as yeah. score. Um, and I was like, nah, dude, I have heard too many horror stories about people being treated in the army. Uh, Marines, all my buddies were going into the Marines, like, you know, the hoorah, like they just, I was like, ah. I mean, it's cool, man. The pride thing, the Marines have the pride, the uniforms, mm -hmm. and I was just like, I don't know, man. It doesn't sound for me. The Navy, I was like, you know, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of females in there. Um, and I was like, but I don't want to be on a ship or a submarine for six, seven, whatever months at a time. Yeah. So I went and talked to the Air Force recruiter and Sergeant Rylon, actually, I still remember his name. I think he's probably retired by now, but um, recruited me. He was honest. He was actually, I, all the horror stories people say about recruiters, I didn't have that. Um, I went into the delayed entry program when I was 16, because you can't take the ASVAB till you're 16. Mm. Um, just hung in there for about a year and a half in the Air Force because I scored so well compared to all my, <laughs> some of my friends did about the same as me, but a lot of them just 40s, 50s. I don't know if they were just dumb or not trying, but uh, I was like, yeah, dude, I'm Air Force it is, man. He, he told me way too much. And you know, we, I get a lot of flack for it now, you know, like the chair force, but I had a badass job, dude. And I loved it. It was worth every, every day. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you, you know, you go through your debt program, you're doing all your stuff with your recruiter leading up to, at least I think that's how the air force is yeah. going to go. You know, you're doing like your monthly thing with them. So then they say, Hey, here's your, here's your career path. Um, so and did you stick with that initial one? And uh, like, yeah. what was, what was your, what was your official MOS then? So it's funny because it was from day one, man. Like uh, he gave me the list 
Um, and he straight up told me, he's like, man, you score really high in all the areas, technical, um, electronical for, and air crew is all he said. He said, enlisted air crew, man. He's like, mm -hmm. and here's the jobs for enlisted air crew. And it was like aerial gunner, which was in play. Cause I was like, that sounds badass. Yeah. Little did I know the shit they have to go do, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, that sounds cool. Yeah. Like shoot people from a helicopter. Probably. It sounds cool. Um, Loadmaster kind of caught my eye and I did a little bit of that with my job, but then they, he showed me the video of in-flight refueling um, on the 135, the original tanker. And I was like, dude, that's like a huge sex joke. And it's a, it's a video game, but expensive. You just don't get a reset if you had messed up. So uh, <laughs> I was like, that's it. And I told him, I said, but I want a guaranteed spot. And he's like, we can sign something. He's like, there's a spot. And I was supposed to initially leave three days after graduation. Okay. But that spot got pushed back to September, the first week of September. So I ended up just partying the entire summer because I knew I was leaving. So yeah. I guess it kind of worked out. Um, and I quit my job at Pizza Hut. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the whole, so we, you know, Air Force being more business-like and different and wants to be different than all the other branches. We don't mm -hmm. call them MOSs, they're AFSCs. Okay, sorry, um, sorry about that. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying for those out there, because I know there's going to be an Air Force guy that I know or something and be like, dude, no, it's not MOS. I'm like, I know that, but they call them MOSs. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, one Alpha Zero. So when I got out as one Alpha Zero Five One, um, you start out as a three one, I believe. Uh, but five one, that means you, you're trained, you do everything by yourself and you go to seven, all that good stuff as you progress. Um, but yeah, dude, it was, if people look it up and I'm sure people have seen videos of it where uh, one big plane's refueling another plane in the air and it looks like a big stick coming out of the back of that plane and I controlled it. So I didn't fly the plane. I flew what they call the boom, which is the stick. And so that was really cool. I mean, a lot of training, it took me a year to go through basic training, all my uh, tech schools or a schools, they, some of the branches call them and took us a year before I finally got to my first base, it was almost a, almost a year. So, yeah. So you, you started to get into that. So, uh, how much, what is the learning curve, I guess to say, so the, like the different kind of trainings you go through the different schools, the various tasks that you have with that MOS. So the big thing for me was studying. I never studied throughout high school because I never had to. I would always get at least a C in every class and I didn't have to study. So mm -hmm. I, was, I had horrible study habits, but I didn't have any. So you have to learn a lot about pneumatics, hydraulics, yep. air speeds. We had to do the weight and balance for the aircraft takeoff and landing, things of that nature. So I had no background to base this off of, just basic math for the weight and balance, but that was it. So I struggled. I, I failed a test or two in tech school. And if you fail too many, you get kicked out. I think it's three. Um, so, um, but once I got into the job, I excelled cause I'm a hands-on guy and mm -hmm. they even told me, they're like, man, you're lucky you're good at this job because they're like, it wasn't looking good, you know, cause I, I didn't ever could study, dude. I just space out. Um, but training wise. So obviously, so I think the basic training for the air force is now nine weeks, but it used to be seven and a half when I went through. And that's another reason we get knocked is because it's a cheap less. Um, but I went through basic training in San Antonio. And when we graduated on October 19th, 2007 was my graduation date. It was still 100 degrees out, dude. It was hot as shit in San Antonio, Texas. 
Um, so I stayed there on Lackland Air Force Base, but went to Medina Annex, which is a different part, like obviously an annex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stayed there for uh, enlisted air crew, enlisted air crew undergraduate course. So like all the enlisted air crew kind of just learned basic stuff. Then I went to BBOC, which was basic boom operator course. So you start learning about your the KC-135 and the KC-10, which is a uh, who I don't it's a DC-10. I can't remember who makes it. All of a sudden, starts with an M, maybe. Can't remember it. Boeing is what I flew on. Boeing 707 okay. is all a KC-135 has gutted out. Um, and then from there, so I got uh, my initial orders when I was in BBOC, which was like October, November, like sometime around Christmas, I think, of 2007, that I was going to Okinawa, Japan as my first duty station. And dude, I cried. People call me a bitch, dude, but I cried because I was like, dude, it's so, I have a special needs brother and I've always been like super close to my family. And I was like, dude, that's 3,000 miles and across the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. Um, but then from there though, once I get those, I went to water survival in Pensacola, Florida. So that was awesome. That was in January of 2008. And uh, it was cold. I mean, for Florida anyways. So we got to do that survival where they pull you up and then you parasail down, you unclip and you pretend like you are parachuting from a blown up aircraft or it's going to go down. Um, You go through all that. And then I went through SEER in Spokane at Fairchild Air Force Base, which is a mini version of what SEER actually is which is survive, evade, resist, and escape for those who don't know. And it's pretty much a survival school. Obviously can't say everything that you do through there, but pretty much you pretend you get caught by an enemy and you have, they teach you how to survive is pretty yeah. much what it was. So, and I went there also end of January, beginning of February, six and a half feet of snow. And that's where we're evading in the woods from. Yeah. I have to wear snowshoes. I'm like, this is cheating. They're just going to follow our snowshoes, shoe tracks, <laughs> you know? So you had to find some ways, you know, but it was, it was interesting, man. And then finally from there, uh, I, I went to Altus, Oklahoma, which is my least favorite place in the entire United States I've been to so far. And I spent six, seven months there learning simulators, going through actual flights, doing my first real in-flight refueling. And that's where you learn how to do this actual job of being a boom operator. So about a year until I got to Okinawa, Japan. Yeah. So I, I know you said people make fun of you about the Air Force, but like that's the branch that sets you up the most for when you get out. Like it does. Their, their training is like legit, like almost like college style training, I would, I would say. It, re- it really is. People are like in basic, dude, we had classes. Yeah. Like we sat in the classroom and took notes and stuff. And then when we our training. It wasn't, just, I, and it depends on your job in the mm-hmm. military, but dude, it was just like a classroom, except more strict, you know, can't yeah. fall asleep. Can't, if you are, you know, you get in trouble, this and that, but um, it was worth it, man. Uh, I think it distilled, not just the air force, but you would know as any branch, man, if you're come from a poor family, it doesn't cure everybody's attitudes or what they're going to do in life. But I honestly hundred percent believe it changed what I would have done. Yeah. It makes you grow up really fast, mm-hmm. like really, really fast. So you get to Okinawa and you know, you're, that's already a cultural shock for you. Cause that's like what, th- so you're West coast. So that's, is that like 16 hour difference or is it 13 still? Yeah. It depends on the time. Okay. But yeah. 16. It's either yeah. 16 or 14, depending on whatever we're doing, but yeah, yeah it's, 
dude, it's different because people think of Japan, which is already an island. Yeah. But Okinawa is another small island two yep. hours south of mainland Japan. So it's subtropical. It's not cold, like mainland snows, Okinawa. Think of it as Hawaii, but hotter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, so you, you, have that, you have that culture shock. And then when do you find out you're going on your first deployment? So I got there July of 2008. And I went on my first deployment. I believe it was November of 2009. And so air crew has, so, you know, in advance, they have rotations and they, mm-hmm. and it's just you and two other guys. So it was two pilots. So an officer, uh, AC aircraft commander and a co-pilot and you, the boom operator and you three spend the next three months about together every day, all day long. And you fly missions every day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So most people are like, oh, like the Army, Marines, you guys deploy seven, nine plus whatever months, depending on where you go. Um, for us, a lot of people get deployed for two, three months at a time. You hit the max hours you can fly in a certain amount of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, there's waivers for everything in the military. Everybody in the military knows that. But there's only so many waivers you can hit. Then you fly back. Some people will go right back two weeks later. Um, but I didn't. I was only there for about two and a half, three months. Um, but we went to where uh, Qatar. So we flew to Iraq and Afghanistan because my job was to refuel fighters, uh, cargo planes, bombers in the air. So mm-hmm. we were in the middle. You go to both Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, so OIF, OEF, which were technically not wars, according to paper. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. You, you just there, man, and flew every day. And my first crew, because I deployed twice, the first one, I had a pretty cool pilot, but then like this dude who was really religious and just like very, he was nice, but he was very judgmental. And I was really wild back then. And I was like, dude, I'm not here to be religious. I'm not here to be your next disciple or whatever you want to call it, you know? <laughs> so yeah. uh, I'm like, that's not me. But then my second deployment, they're still really good. My best crew ever flew with, um, Steve Marshall and Travis Epp, and I still talk to them to this day. They're, one was a major, well, eventually a major. He was a captain at the time, which was in 04, and then uh, the co-pilot, Travis Epp. They're both, one's a colonel now, one's a major. Oh, no, actually, we're both colonels now. So, yeah, uh, they were cool, man. That was some of the funniest times, those two, the second deployment. So Yeah, like I flew with, so like Marine Corps has flight crews too. And uh, I flew with one of those guys one time. I went to, I went from Spain and we went to like the islands of Portugal out there, the Andalus Islands or whatever they're called. There's, yeah. a, there's an Air Force base out there. You know what yeah, I'm talking nowhere, about? Yeah, nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so I was with those guys one time and those guys live like frat boys, man. <laughs> it is. It yeah, really it, is. Pe- yeah. People don't understand that pilots, when they first get in, are college age kids. Yeah. And they're pilots. They come, a lot of them come from the academy which is in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And dude, they're just like, now I'm older at 33 in August than those guys were when I was flying with them. And they were like mid 20, you yeah. know, and then I'm 19, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So here is, here's, here's Corporal Moore sitting on a, you know, on a C5 and there's like four other people on this plane. And I see them open up the front door and they're like watching movies in the cockpit. I'm just like, yeah, this is. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> funny because to us when i fly on a plane all the time it just becomes normal mm-hmm. but to people who don't they're like 
this is awesome. And you're like, you take a second, you're like, yeah, actually, it really is awesome. Cause I got to fly on like HH60s, the Hueys or whatever. Yeah. I got to shoot the aerial guns, um, things like that, C 130s, um, obviously my plane all the time. And you just look at it and it's a different because we were less like if you're in the Marines, Army, enlisted, you do not talk to officers unless it's like important, you're getting yelled at, you're getting yeah. told what to do. And for us, it was for every one of us, there's two officers in our squadron. Mm-hmm. So we were calling people by like their first name, yeah. like a major. And people were like, not in the squadron, because we had, so we had to differentiate outside the squadron, in the squadron. But when we went on deployment, like with Marshall and F, I called them Steve and Travis. And I got in trouble when I got back because I got so familiar with them. But other branches see that and they're like, dude, what? You just called him Steve? And I'm like, Romy and Steve were out here, you know, making your mom jokes. And like, I locked their ass in the latrine in the airplane for like two hours because they were talking shit about me and my mom. (laughs) So I'm like, dude, we didn't care. Yeah. So it it was a big difference. And we we didn't realize it until you get around other people where they're like, yeah, you don't talk to officers like that. So it was different. Yeah. So tell us your best, your best deployment story, whether it's funny, scary, or what, what do you got for us here? I think the funniest one is, except for there's two. So one, uh, one of my best friends was deployed with me at the same time. He went to England. I went to Japan. He was my best man at my wedding here down the road. Well, so we're in the Middle East. It's like 120 degrees outside mm-hmm. on the flight line, a little bit hotter. Um, but he's out there pushing an APU unit down out so they could taxi because they didn't have enough uh, maintenance guys. And he's literally, because it's so hot, in his boxers and under t- T-shirt, not his flight suit that you're supposed to be wearing, you know, just in case anything catches on fire and yeah. it's a uniform. And the wing commander of the deployed base we're at is on our plane looking out at this because she had they have to fly x amount of hours yeah and dude she gets off that plane so fast he's getting yelled at and these bugs bunny boxers i'm dying laughing because she doesn't know that that's like my best friend yeah and i'm dying dude so and this is right afterwards too so that happened and then we're flying and like i said they're making your mom jokes the two pilots I'm like, all right, guys, keep talking shit. Well, the co-pilot, Travis Epp, gets up. And if you've ever seen those, there's like a pee, a piss tube. It looks like a torpedo tube and to pee in for the guys. And then a, a little toilet thing if you need to do some other stuff, right? Mm. So he goes in there. I ran over, took a cargo strap, strapped that door shut. And I told him to sit in there and think about what he'd done. And I left him in there for like two hours all the way out to a refueling track. And he's like banging on the door on the headset telling me to let him out and i'm like oh, dude, see i told you and so i just left him in there for like two hours <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh so basically like you know, I, i've i've dealt with flight line stuff like that but not like that like i used to when i was deployed um when i was in africa we went i would i would be the guy who loaded the crypto on like you know on the flight lines and stuff like that we that did like, that too and i hated it yeah <laughs> So we were leaving Djibouti one time and similar to that situation, we got stuck waiting and I fell asleep on the flight line in Djibouti. Oh, okay. just, I mean, it was, it was trash. So, um, 
right now we're going to take our first break and then we'll be right back with you guys. All right, we're back. So you said you had two stories. What's your second story? You had your flight line story and what's this next one? So, man, so I would just say scary because a lot of people will be like, uh, they'll ask like everybody, especially because I, when I teach high school or anybody, Hey, did you ever kill anybody? Mm -hmm. I'm like, not directly. No, because I was an in-flight refueler. I refueled bombers, all that stuff. So, but I was refueling the AWACS one time, which is a reconnaissance plane. Right. And the scariest dude, I thought I was for sure. Dude, hundred percent thought we were dying. Um, so we're refueling and it's a real mission somewhere. And, it, um, and we go through this cloud um, and we can't, uh, you know, it's like real, like they're like, we need this gas. We need to go do this. I'm like, all right. Uh, and I can't see. And there, and when you refuel, the aircraft are only 50 or less feet apart mm-hmm. um, in midair flying a couple hundred miles per hour. Um, and dude, I can't see them. And it's a big airplane. It's the exact same aircraft as ours, but with some different modifications. So they're both Boeing 707. And I, dude, I could see on my gauges just because I know where that distance is. If I looked at the gauges, where he's at, but he is so close to where, and I can't see him though. Cause all I can see is a cloud, mm-hmm. but I know if I were to like punch that window out, I could probably like reach out and like almost touch this plane, dude. And with, and dude, I thought for sure, because he was, it got a little turbulence. They were going in, out, left, right. They were all over what we call the envelope. And dude, I, that was the one time that I thought for sure that I, like they were going to hit us or we were going to break some shit or we were going to have to emergency land because they were so close and I could, you could feel their bow wave pushing us. Mm-hmm. Dude, and I, that was the scariest I've ever been on an airplane or in that job period because like usually you're so high, you're above all the land. I mean, unless it's like Afghanistan with all the mountains, but mm-hmm. like usually you're not in a lot of danger, depending on where you land too. But in that situation, man, I 100% thought like, yep, I'm going to get in trouble, man. Like something's going to get broken or we're going to die. <laughs> like, but it didn't. So I was like, Ooh, all right. So there's, there's no, like, uh, there's no like thought by the pilots, like, Hey, let's change elevation and see if we can get out of this cloud. I met is so, it is it daytime nighttime so it was like dusk okay. um so but makes it worse <laughs> so there's a, there's procedures where i call an emergency breakaway but man you know like in the situation i thought man we got to get this done because because then if the bigger aircraft if they disconnect it takes a second for them to back out come back in and they needed their gas and you go on their way it's kind of like when i was deployed over we we're flying over afghanistan and this one fighter's like He's like, where are you guys at? Calling over the radios. And we told him where we're at. He's like, if I'm not attached to your gas pump in like the boom in the next 20 seconds, I'm punching out like over Afghanistan because he was going to run out of gas. Mm. So that was another one, man, where I was like, it's a lot of pressure because if he would have, if I wouldn't have gotten the nozzle into his receptacle that first time, probably would have had to punch out and over Afghanistan, dude. So as a 19 year old 20 year old i'm like that's a lot of pressure man not to miss you know Mm -hmm. uh so but he got it man and he came screaming in like just not at the normal like hey i'm creeping in like it speed break came up on that it was an f-16 just screaming in there man and i didn't think he was gonna stop either but he did all right so i'm still here obviously yeah so you get to uh you know 
you get you get through your deployment are you are you so you go back to okinawa are you stuck in okinawa for your whole time that you're in or you move i'm there for i'm there for three years but as air crew you're gone for so many days out of the year it's like a deployment but just small pockets um i was everywhere like philippines thailand singapore guam uh australia which is by far my favorite place so far uh Diego Garcia, which you can only be on if you're from that native tribe that lives there or military. So that was pretty cool. Just things like that. And then I went from there to Fairchild. I got to pick where I went. So I went to Spokane because it's two hours from my house. And I was like, I've been so far away from my family. Two hours is far enough away to where I don't have to go home all the time, but I can go home when I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came back, um, but I had my shoulder injury and I had two shoulder surgeries while I was in Spokane and they were two months apart. And so that pretty much did it in for me. And then during that time frame of my two, my first shoulder surgery, and then I got a DUI and got mm-hmm. my second shoulder surgery. And that's when Obama was doing the, what's called DODS rollback in 2012, where he's cutting thousands of people from the military for no reason, pretty much. Um, and I just, and because anybody who had been in trouble or had injuries or medical, they were put on that list. So yeah. I was kind of a double whammy, even though I wasn't the only one. A couple of us, actually, my best friend got an alcohol-related incident fight uh, at a strip club uh, called Jezebel's in, I think it was uh, is it South Dakota, North Dakota, wherever that base is over there. I think it's South Dakota. No, mm-hmm. it's North Dakota. Minot Air Force Base, I think. No, not Minot. I can't remember. But anyways. Um, yeah, so we both roommates. Uh, they let us go. Uh, honorable discharge, everything. There's nothing bad. It's just, hey, you can't reenlist, can't stay. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had your 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 uh, shoulders hurt in the military. How did that injury occur? So initially, I know I was playing football for my squadron mm-hmm. and against another squadron, and that's how I initially uh, I got burnt on a fly route. This dude was just running like short in routes all game. And I was playing like, a, it was only like seven on seven type thing. Um, and I was like, man, I'm just, I got jammed this guy. That's, he's not running anything deep, dude. And I'd keep giving him three, four yards and he's catching these short passes. Well, he finally just runs a fly route right past me. I, and I'm fast sprinter, not long distance. And uh, catch up to him. He gets thrown. I jump, hit the ball. But on my way down, I put my hand out and my whole arm went behind me and just pretty much sandwiched behind me flat. Mm-hmm. tore uh, my labrum and broke my collarbone. I didn't know it at the time. I kept playing um, and it just hurt like pain, sharp pains just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, moving cargo and lifting heavy things on the airplane and pushing and I could just keep feeling things. It kept feeling like a muscle was tearing, tearing. And they kept doing that. Just put me in physical therapy, whatever. They kept giving me waivers. So there's a thing called the NIF, duties not including flying. So paperwork, things like that if you get injured or sick in a certain way and they didn't want me to do that. So they never checked it out. Mm -hmm. So for the last like year and a half, two years, I'm in Okinawa. I'm just injured. Did not know it. I knew it, but I know like x-rays, none of that. Finally, I go to this new base here and I told the flight doc, I was like, Hey, like if you guys don't let me get this examined, I'm going to go to the wing commander because it's so bad at this point. I could barely lift my arm. I can't do push-ups. I've been on a waiver for like the last year for push-ups. Um, they did it and they're like, yeah, you need surgery, man. Uh, so I initially playing sports in the military and then 
just on the job. It just kept getting worse. So it's partially my fault, partially Uncle Sam's for not letting me get it checked out. Um, so it was crazy. Um, and now I had my third one, not this January, but last January. So three shoulder surgeries by the time I'm 30, not even 33 yet. So it's good times. So is it was like a hairline fracture in your collarbone or? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I could tell it the worst like, kind. <laughs> now that I could think back, I I'd always felt a sharp pain from my shoulder to my neck, but I was like, oh, it's probably tendons, muscles, nerves. No, they, cause they asked me when I got my disability rating, when I got out, they're like, where's your paperwork for your broken collarbone? I was like, I never broke my collarbone. And they're like, yeah, you did. You could see it right here. The calcium rebuilt the up. And I'm like, oh, well, don't have it. <laughs> never was told. <laughs> yeah. So I know this, this isn't part of the associate or whatever, but you said you got a DUI. How bad did they hammer you, hammer you on that one? Dude. So here's, so the first one, I got lucky. I got it off base, got pulled over by a Cheney cop over here in Spokane County. Mm -hmm. um, they couldn't charge me. The base charged me. Uh, and by that, they took away rank for six months. And I would have to park my truck at the gate and I could not drive on base. Not that bad. Right. Long story short, though, um, it affected. I, I think that was the final nail in the coffin where they're like, yeah, he's got to be a part of the DODS rollback because I got told by this other guy, Andrew Keepers, who's still in at Fairchild, not too long ago, actually last year, he's like, dude, I want to thank you. And I go, for what? And he's like, if you wouldn't have gotten in trouble, I was the one they were letting go mm. because he was the youngest and he'd been in the least amount of time and yeah. they had to cut at least one person. And he's like, they told me, dude. And then you got in trouble and they're like, uh, it might be Cassidy. And ended up being me. So uh, I was like, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it wasn't super bad, but dude, yeah, I got reamed pretty good uh, by Colonel Hamby, actually is his name. Well, yeah, you didn't, you didn't get ninja punched. It just took your rank for six months. Yeah. So, and, and Can't beat it, wasn't, that, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I got an article 15, obviously. Um, but it wasn't then, man. It's when I got out that things kind of went downhill because I got multiple DUIs. So that's where it wasn't the military per se. So, but I mean, dude, I loved, I'd still be in if I didn't have to get out, probably yeah. I would be on like year 16 by now. So you're getting forced out because of the early, the, the DOD cutback. Um, yeah. So now you're just like, okay, I, I have to get out. I have to join the civilian world. Uh, that decision, it takes place for you. Uh, obviously it's, it's made for you. You're, you're not making that decision anymore. Uh, what steps, if any, did you take towards getting out after they're like, Hey, you're getting, you're getting kicked out basically. Dude, there was nothing really, man. Um, they gave me the paperwork and my roommate, cause we both got out mm -hmm. the week of Thanksgiving. I was like, thanks guys. Like the break, you know, you get a four day weekend or whatever. And, uh, I was like, yeah. And I wasn't even at work. Like they would send me home every day because I was on painkillers for my shoulder surgery. And they're like, you're pretty much useless because you have one arm and you're on painkillers. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Um, so they gave us the papers, man. And I, I was two hours from home. So for me, it wasn't that bad. I, like, I was like, I'm going to go live with my mom for a couple of months. And I did. And then I ended up uh, getting a, not a hotel, a apartment with two buddies that lived here. So it wasn't that bad, but yeah, um, it was just me getting ready for college. I literally got out March 31st, 2012, started CBC, which is a community college to get my AA 
the very next day, April 1st. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty, I just knew, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to go to school for, but I need to get my AA to start with. So that's what I started with. And uh, so I got out and it was, I was depressed for like years, man. And then I ended up getting a DUI six months out, five months out. And that's when I got hammered, dude, fought it for months, uh, almost a year. And they wouldn't drop it because they saw that I didn't get charged for the first one. And they, because the military took it. Yeah. And they were like, no, we're going to make an example of this guy. Uh, so got hammered, man. And then uh, I was super depressed then about it. And I was just, still, I was just going to school, working odds and ends jobs to make it. Um, then I met my wife during, I met her before, but we started dating before that. And she pretty much helped me get out of it. And then, um, the last three to five years have been way more positive and, yeah. uh, my anxiety, depression from the military stuff got under control. So, um, but it took a while to get over that. Uh, and everything happens for a reason. So I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't think I'd have my wife or my kids because she's like, I would have never dated you while we were still in the military. She's like, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. So, so, so basically you get out, you get out on the 31st, you start school on the first. So that, that takes your mind away kind of like from, you know, that empty, that void yeah. you know, that a lot of people have like, they're like, shit, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but you kind of said, you don't, you don't know what you want to do, but you're going to college for something. So, um, tell us about your first year, your first year out and like, not like regret, but like animosity you may have towards the military for that's, you know, basically kicking you out. I was pissed because one of the guys who I thought was cool, tech sergeant above me, um, and I won't name his name, but um, he always played cool with everybody outside, um, always talking the shit, you know, um, drinking with us. Well, he's my supervisor at Japan, and the only, the, so the uh, first sergeant was just doing stuff, and he found out he was my supervisor, and we were both at Fairchild where I got my DUI in there, and he asked him, like, hey, did Cassie ever get in trouble when he's at Japan? And he brought up some minute BS that I never got paperwork for. It was talked about and squashed. And it was all it was was drinking in the crew rest. When you're a flyer, you can't drink 12 hours before your showtime. Mm -hmm. um, and I drank like two hours into it or whatever. He told him about that. And then so they pretty much thought I was trying to lie my way out of stuff. And that was pretty much they told me the nail in the coffin. Like if they can't trust you. And I was like, that's stupid because I could forgot about that until you guys brought it up because I never got in trouble for it. So I held a lot of animosity against him, try to like add me on Facebook and stuff later. And I was just like, so pissed about it. And I was like, dude, don't be fake to my face. And then <laughs> throw me under the bus, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, for the first year, man, I was super pissed. I was drinking all the time, just out at the bars Thursday through Sunday, pretty much. If I wasn't working or I wasn't at school, man, I was just out drinking. Um, and that's how it went for a long time. But uh then a little less animosity two, three years in still depressed about it. Cause I, I was going to go to school to be a nurse. Didn't want to do it anymore. Cause I was like, ah, it's not interesting anymore. And then I, uh, I was given a presentation for my AA degree actually. And a professor, she was an older teacher was like, Hey, uh, you ever thought about being a teacher? She's like, you're really good with people and you're really good at portraying information. And I was like, I've thought about it, but pay well you know everybody hears the pay sucks the pay sucks and it does for what you have to do but it wasn't horrible so I looked into it and I was like that's what I'm going to go do so that's what I started doing and then now I'm technically a teacher by trade but started doing finances uh 
actually August of last year. So I do both. Um, I'm transitioning to try to do financial stuff again full time because I did work at a local credit union doing education outreach stuff for a while before that. So it's combining teaching and finances in one. So it's kind of like way better. <laughs> so, you know, you said you're going through all this, all this struggle. And in that, in that time frame, you know, obviously you're going through it. Uh, what's your support group like in that time? Like, is there anyone that's like, hey, Cass, you need to, you need to pull yourself back together? Yeah, uh, not in a supportive way, pretty much behind my back. Uh, someone who was my best friend for 14 years growing up, mm. um, you know, uh, very hypocritical because he smoked weed all the time and he actually sold weed for a long time. But he would be like, dude, you're an alcoholic. You have a problem. You need to stop drinking. Like you just keep making bad decisions. And I'm like, dude, like you're doing the same thing, but with a different substance. I don't care if it's illegal or not because it was illegal at then. Now it's not here in Washington. Yeah. And I didn't care, dude. I was like, dude, like just come to my face and tell me like, hey man, I think you have a problem. But they didn't. Uh, eventually it was my wife who pulled me out. Um, she had, I don't know how my wife stayed with me through all this. Um, we got married in 2014 and I was still pretty bad um, up until probably my first my first blood kid, because I have a stepdaughter who have been around since she was four, she's 14. Um, that was 2016. Uh, and then a mini relapse, like mentally, uh, right after that. Um, but ever since uh, about three, four years ago, it's been pretty good. So mm. uh, I'm surprised she just stayed through all that. So now we're great, but I'm just still here with her. Like, you I can't believe you stayed. <laughs> yeah, but like, so, but just her going through those moments of weakness with you makes your relationship that much stronger, you know? It does in the end because we went yeah. through a lot of stuff to where we shouldn't have made it, but we did. Yeah. So it was it was a good thing in the end. So you be uh, you said your your uh, your professor asked you, you know, say, hey, you're talking about teaching, so you're you're gonna swing your you're gonna swing that into that now. You go through all that that um, the academics to become a teacher. And it's in school now is obviously different from when you and I went yeah. in. Uh, so like now, what kind of adjustments have you made? Have you had to make personally and professionally in that in that um, profession? So I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not your average teacher. You don't look at me like you look at me now. You can see like if you see the screen, you know, me and you like I got you see I'm sleeved out on both sides. Yeah, uh, I dress like this most of the time, not at school, but at school, I wore khaki cargo shorts and like a t-shirt because that's what everybody else is wearing like they've gotten really lenient in a lot of places about how dude girls are wearing yoga pants and stuff as professional attire and I'm like if they can wear that I'm gonna wear my shorts like yeah uh, I'll dress up if I have to but everybody else isn't so why am I going to mm -hmm. people wearing base like how you're dressed some teachers that were not PE teachers were dressing like you right now so I'm like why am I gonna dress up so that I kind of like didn't change uh, what it really was is like what you can and can't say. Like when we were growing up, we used to say, oh, dude, that shit's gay. Yeah. Like, and not talking about sexual orientation. You can't say things like that now because mm -hmm. the LGBTQ plus community is so large now. It's mind boggling, not because it's bad, but because that was never a thing when we were in high school. Like there was one or two gay people or lesbians yeah. or whatever um, they were called back then, but it wasn't a lot. I, I could think of one gay, two, one or two gay guys growing up and like three lesbians. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. Now in schools, it's everywhere, man. Like 
I, it's just something I had to adapt to. And the biggest thing I think is just pronouns like them, they, oh. uh, as an educated mindset, saying they for a singular person is very hard for me. Yeah. And uh, I try because one of my cousins goes by they, and I mess it up all the time, man. Um, and she goes by, or they go by Al now. And real name is Alexis or Lexi. Uh, doesn't go by that anymore. So it's just, that's the big thing professionally. But a lot of kids since COVID, man, just they think they could just pass doing nothing because they did pass in 2020 for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's the mindset now. And it's hard because there's all these rules and regulations, especially like states like Washington, California, things like that, who want to get into the business of teachers when they have nothing to do with teaching. They just making all these dumb laws. And then uh, administration's a big thing, man. If you don't have good administrators, it's tough. And uh, I haven't found really great ones, except for the financial stuff I do, great leaders. Uh, in the schools I've been around, they, they're okay, but nothing above and beyond. And I have a high standard because my senior master sergeant, when I was in, I'm still in contact with him. He was a misfit like us, but dude, he's great leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I, it's hard to find nowadays. So that's big for me. Uh, I don't like working from home all the time, but I don't like working under somebody all the time. It, it's, uh, so this financial stuff, it's like in between. I yeah. can do both. And that's why I like it. Um, so professionally, just like uh, watching how I talk to is like the big thing because I'm very free language, things like that. That's yep. probably the hardest thing. So uh, nowadays, do they put you guys through like additional like sensitivity training? You have to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, they just had like a sexual harassment uh, assembly because they did a big protest at our school mm-hmm. from uh, there's been some teacher things, not at our school, but well, in the past, but recently it was a different high school. And then like apparently some of the guys uh, at the schools were still sexually harassing. So we had to go through that. And obviously we have to go through other training, whatever comes up like LGTQ plus or if I messed that acronym up, <laughs> but all that stuff. Yeah. We get trained on all of it. And it's just hard now because it's like, like at what, where do you draw the line? Like how much extra stuff do teachers have to go through to not get paid for? Yeah. So expe- it's like, especially with like, you know, the thing that, you know, the school shooting that happened in Texas, like how did yeah. your, how did your job respond to that? So just like emails and talking about it and like having a plan talking, you know, with your kids, but I'm like, <laughs> And I know people are like, no, do not arm teachers. Like, oh, a teacher who's underpaid and fed up has a nine mil. And I'm like, dude, like, okay, look, what about me? Trained in the military on guns. And if you could pass a psych eval, which I would do, a background check, a psych eval, I would do it to carry as a teacher. Because Mm -hmm. if we have one officer on duty at our high school and we have 3,000 students, it's a big high school. What's he going to do if it's across campus? Yeah. There's going to be 20, 30 kids shot by the time you got there. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. Like one per hall, maybe carrying like in a background check. And then like, I, it's just hard because it's like your hands are so strapped as a teacher. Like you can't say this, can't say that, can't talk about this, can't talk about that. And then if you don't talk about this, Hey, you were supposed to talk about that, but it's like, you said not to talk about this. Now that's a gray area. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's one of those things like that's what teaching is just very stressful for the minimum uh, recognition, like cops and firefighters and teachers, I think, you know, they used to be praised very highly and now they're pretty much shit on all the time. Yeah. Um, 
uh, not by like normal people, but like in the media and all this, it's just like, it's hard being a teacher, man. Um, for, especially for the pay, like the things you, a lot of teachers pay out of their pocket. A study that just came out by LinkedIn released 55% of teachers since COVID are actively looking for a new job. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the summer times, are you switched to like that financial side? Or are you doing that as well? As- yeah. So I'm doing it full time right okay. now. And I'm, that's my goal is eventually transition. I don't know when I'll be able to fully transition, but I'm going to eventually. Um, and it sucks because it's like, I love the kids. The kids are my favorite part about teaching, mm-hmm. but parents and administrators and admin, administrations of states. And I live in Washington. Um, like it's, it's just crazy. Like the whole COVID situation, masks, vaccine, vaccines, blah, blah. I was one that never got vaccine vaccinated. And then now look, it's not required anymore. So people who got pushed into it that never wanted to do it, but they wanted to keep their job. I was one of the few who stood up and was like, if you're going to hire me, I'm not going to do this. And I got a religious uh, waiver exemption. Uh, and I was like, then uh, don't hire me then. And mm-hmm. I was one of the few, there's so many people I know at government jobs where I live who didn't want to get it, but they were afraid they were going to lose their job. But look at it now. It's not mandatory anywhere now. Yeah. So it, that's one big thing I feel bad for a lot of teachers who didn't want to do it. Yeah. A lot of people in general. So yeah. what, what's, so you said you have a bunch of kids, you have a giant campus. Uh, so what's yeah. the best or funniest moment you've had while teaching? So we have a huge, where I teach it's seven, six, no, 86% Hispanic Latino. Okay. Uh, so it's, a, dude, so many people go back to Mexico, but this kid, uh, I won't say his name, but you're not, you can't anyways. Uh, but he's one of my favorite students. I've I had him all year. Uh, he's like Mr. Cook, uh, or a lot of them say Mr. It's their culture. Uh, he's like, oh, when I was in Mexico just this last week with my parents and I was getting fucked up and he's a sophomore. Uh, and he's like, and then he's like, and I was dancing with this girl and his girlfriend was right there. And she's like, you didn't tell me about that. And dude, just I, like the things you hear. And I'd say, I want the most uncomfortable thing now is the ease at which students do not care what they say. Yeah. I've had students say they want to F the shit out of me to their friends in front of me. I've had one girl call me a DILF in front of me. And all these kids are like 10th, 11th graders. And I'm like, do you guys not understand? I'm 32 years old and you guys are 15, 16 years old. Yeah. I have a daughter that's your guys' age. I know I don't look that old. I said, but I could still be your dad <laughs> for one. <laughs> and uh, so the funny part mixed with just like, dude, that did not happen when we were in high school. Like behind doors, like, oh, Mrs. So-and-so so hot. Yeah. Blah, blah, or Mr. So-and-so for the girls back then is like, but dude, they just do, talk about everything. And the amount the N word is thrown around is probably like, and I don't, there's not even 1% uh, black in our school district period. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, dude, in my day, it doesn't matter if you're green, purple, white, yellow, you say that word and you're not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're going to get your ass kicked. And that dude, they don't now. And I'm like, this is crazy. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like the social media culture has like em- emboldened them to just talk about any, anything and everything. Cause like, 
Oh. It's almost like they can't, they almost feel like they're invincible and can't get in trouble for anything. Yeah. Like Mike Tyson said, too many of you gotten comfortable with saying stuff over the internet, not getting punched in the face for it. Um, I guess another funny thing is this one freshman, he was adamant. He's like, by the end of the year, you're going to call me the B word, you know, Mexican, Hispanic. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to say it. And he's like, yeah, Mr. Cook, you're going. So he's like, I want you to. And I'm like, no, it's just not going to happen, dude. <laughs> so it's just crazy to me. I'm like, why, why would I even say that? So yeah. I'm like, this is, this is entrapment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I guess, I guess you kind of get used to it. Like, you know, like our background, like, you know, we were in the military. We worked with people, you know, from all across the world, yeah. all, all different cultures. So you're just like, there's not much of a culture shock when people like talk to you and stuff, but like to like be that every day. And, and then like, like you said, then being emboldened to just talk about anything. You're yeah. just like, man, what the? <laughs> and, and at what young age, like there was always some people who did sexual activities at a young age, but it's like everywhere now, dude, it's like internet, social media is having access to everything. Like they yeah. know about it at such a young age and everything. And it just, that's probably the most it's hilarious to me because it's like they just don't know yet they think they do but they it's like they don't they're going to regret so much when they're older and be like I shouldn't have done that you know yeah. I was like they think and I tell them like guys like one percent of high school relationships are going to make it past call like into college I'm just letting you guys know like, yeah. I'm just being honest <laughs> so you so. do your you also do your financial stuff and I recently seen that like your one of your teammates is Marshall Falk. Is that Marshall Falk? Dude, yeah. There we go. So, Let's talk about that. <laughs> I am going to Vegas on the nineteenth to the twenty third, and two keynote speakers together, Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, are so Marshall Falk. So I work with a company, the overall company is Transamerica, uh, WFG, and we're called uh, Revolution Financial Management. Um, so he is associated with us. And he's actually a licensed professional in the in this this whole hierarchy. Okay. And he is going to be there, and he helps uh, not just families like I do, but apparently he's big in the NFL world of helping them and rookies and people who just don't know how to, you know, you get all that money and that fame, yeah. you just go out, and it's just so cool to see that it's a legitimate piece. Like, dude, Marshall Falk is doing this, like. Of course. And that, and that's just cool um, because it's not a selling point. It's just to say like, dude, it's like you see these sports stars and they go out and do other stuff, especially like he's not just doing anchoring and newscasting or sports casting, you know, he's out here doing other things with his life. Mm -hmm. So like, and to go off that for the financial thing, how you said he's helping NFL players, like almost like, you know, those guys blow all their money and they're broke within like three to five years or whatever. Cause yeah like if once they're out they said like six years yeah they're broke yeah and then you have like terrible situations like marion barber you know and stuff like that yeah. but then but like you, then you look at someone who you think wouldn't be like that like gronk you know he lived yeah. off his endorsements and you're just like he's banking everything else yeah like, so <laughs> it's crazy because dude there's so much like so many people that you wouldn't think like waka flocka the rapper yeah he invests all of his money and you wouldn't think that mm -hmm. it's just crazy who does and who doesn't you know judging a book by its cover yeah absolutely so we'll switch this a little bit to your podcasting uh you said it's the nfc east unfiltered it wasn't always nfc east unfiltered was it no so originally i met rashad who's my main co-host through twitter and he was doing a podcast called the sideline take and uh about 200 or so view listeners a week or so 
and I'd go on there occasionally. And then he's an Eagles fan. I'm the Cowboys fan. Um, and then it turned into, uh, let's do our own man. Like forget doing the whole NFL because it's just so much. Like, there's only oh, yeah. like, you'd have to stay on top of it and do a, a daily show or every other day. Um, and then we did birds versus boys and there's another birds versus boys that stole our idea and they could say whatever they want. We started a year before they did, uh, created everything before they did, but they got a shout out by Mike Tag on one of his hype videos. And dude, I saw that and I was so pissed. I was like, dude, we had this way before they did. And they stole our idea. They took the exact same name. It, instead of birds and boys, it was the birds and boys. And ours was with Aziz or whatever. And I was like, good for them, man. At least they like, whatever. So it was an uh, Eagles versus Cowboys thing. And then there's no animosity there or anything like, cool, you did you, we, we pivoted. And now we're doing the NFC East unfiltered. Um, and it's obviously the whole NFC East. We're a little slow right now because it's the off season. The only thing we've really had to talk about is Dan Snyder um, lately. So, uh, and the lack of free agency in the entire division, yeah. uh, except for like one or two. So uh, once it gets back going, man, like uh, at East unfiltered is what we do. And uh we're going to get back on it, but there's a couple segments in there. Like um, we call him the OG. Uh, he's a, in his fifties, he's a Cowboys fan, Matt. And he does a segment called the spotlight. Um, and he'll do old players, every team where he highlights like legends, icons in each one. Um, and then just, uh, I used to be uh, at football raw was my original Twitter handle. And it just raw and unfiltered takes. So we used to do things called like the raw take. Um, I do things like that still. Like I don't hold back. Like I'm not a homer. Most yeah. of us who are like realists aren't like, oh, the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl every year. So just things <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, it's, that's where we're going. And this is the first full year we'll have the NFC uh, East unfiltered as just that. Uh, because the birds and boys like, we could have competed with that other show, but we did not want to deal with that. So we're like, dude, they could have it, the name, they can have the topic. We're just going to do the whole division. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to take our second break and we'll be right back. All right. We're back from our break. So, uh, you know, you said this would be your full first full season as the NFC East unfiltered. What kind of plans you guys got for the upcoming season? So uh, when I first, so when me and Matt first started doing, we did a segment called Coast to Coast Cowboys. Love mm-hmm. the name. It's like favorite, almost one of my favorite names, not just because uh, I came up with the name, but because it just, it's, uh, I forgot the word, but the, it starts the same three words in a row start with the same sound, mm-hmm. Coast to Coast Cowboys. Um, so we, we did, I used to write, we had a coastcoastcowboys.com and we had Cowboys pieces up two, three a week, but it took too much writing is uh i'm really good at writing but it takes a lot of time yeah. uh, as you would know so it's so much time you got to edit it and i start, and i was editing mine and like two or three other people's all the time and i was like dude this is too much i got other stuff going on uh, so we're really just focusing on trying to get the podcast going maybe like a we do st- uh stream from uh restream mm-hmm. so it does go live like this looks exactly like this pretty much okay so we try to do that. I had Cam on uh, a couple weeks back yep, or a month. Or, so um, we try to do that. And that's, but we're going to also bring on Giants fans and 
uh, commie fans. That's what we say. We just say commies the entire time because there's no Washington guy as a co-host. Yeah. We have two Eagles fans and two Cowboys fans, and the rest are guests. Um, so, and it kind of works out because the Eagles Cowboys are really like just owning that division right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're really going to do, and we break it down every show. We talk about every team. It's not, it's never focused. It might be a little heavy on Dan Snyder and the Washington or the Cowboys and Jerry's illegitimate child or whatever it was that week. But uh, we hit every team and we're going to bring on people. And then I, I told you guys, eventually I'm going to bring on more of you guys uh, from the Cowboys. They're going to figure out the other things for the Eagles. I'm like, I don't know a lot of Eagles fans that I want to talk to anyways, <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of, a lot of them are uh, illogical. Like there's a lot of Cowboys fans that are illogical. I'm yeah, not absolutely. saying there's not. The but, 12 uh, districts. <laughs> yeah. The 12 districts, man. It's the best thing ever. Um, I, I can only learn the numbers, uh, the exact numbers. Uh, but yeah, dude, it's, it's going to be good because I think that Washington might surprise people a little bit, not like they're going to win the division. I think they might be a little bit better than what some people think. So that'll be fun uh, just to watch them. Uh, me and Rashad bash on Saquon nonstop. So that's the best thing ever. Rightfully so. Um, it, no, it is. Uh, I bash on Lamar a lot too, man. Like it's not because I think they're horrible athletes. It's because I think that, people just are so enamored with the big play. That's yeah. all they think about. I'm like, but you don't think about Saquon's negative two, four yard run, one yeah. yard run. And then he busts a 40 once a game or something. And you guys forgive everything else yeah. for Lamar. Who's every metric throwing wise is 16th, 17th, 20th, 27th. And none of them are in the top 15, maybe one. And then, but because he runs a lot and he's good at it, they forgive him like then he shouldn't be a quarterback but you know so it's like it's not because i think they're bad players altogether it's just yeah. over hyping like uh people are starting to do it now for baker mayfield again and i bash baker all the time and now i just started feeling bad for him but again yeah. if they start saying things i'm like mm, i'm gonna start bashing him again because i'm just like like you said you know you've said i'm a very statistical and analytical guy um i don't believe in the eye test by itself yeah uh i i think it's in a combination like yes they look good but are they really good so that's a combination of the two is where i think people fall short is they lean on one or the other and they don't really look at both yeah so to, to go off your you know your saquon barkley thing like i i know about saquon since i'm you know i live in big 10 country oh, yeah, i always yeah. said i you know i always said he wasn't that good because i would you know I remember that last game he played against Ohio state. He had like 40 yards rushing and yeah. 30, 38 of it came off one play and the rest, they shut him down. <laughs> yeah. And he had, I think he had like 22 attempts or something like that. Yeah. And <laughs> people will be like, Oh, he's Barry Sanders. esque." I'm like, not in production. He's not. I said in where he, is he going to lead the league in most negative or side to side yards ran? Probably. Mm-hmm. I said, but he's, he's explosive. Like once a game, if that, and since his injuries the last two years, it hasn't even really been that. Uh, his first year, phenomenal. Second year, pretty good still. The last two, not good. <laughs> yeah, so like go off the Baker Mayfield thing too. Like I always I always ragged on him because I live in the Cleveland area. Yeah. So like everyone's like, you know, when he when he came in in 2018 and he, you know, he broke the rookie touchdown record in like 14 games or something like that. You know, and they they – you know, they dubbed him like the next coming of Jesus, basically. Yeah. 
So then, like, you know, now, like, like you, I feel bad for him, you know, because Cleveland gave him the raw, the raw deal, you know. That's yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, and and I always say, like, you know, he had four coaches in four years. So he had he had Hugh Jackson, and then he had Greg Williams as interim, and then Freddie yeah. Kitchens, and then he got and, and then <laughs> and then he gets Kevin Stefanski. His first year with Kevin Stefanski, he does pretty good. Uh, you could say his some of his metrics were top ten. Yeah. And then last year he's hurt, so you like. Like Dan Orlowski said, like if if so, if a team gets a twenty twenty Baker, that's that's a top fifteen, top sixteen quarterback. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying you know, that's I'm saying Baker's like the new Dalton scale. You know, if you have anybody better than Baker, you have a franchise quarterback. Basically, if anything, the last you should be looking for a quarterback. That's how I see Baker Mayfield. Like he's smack dab in the middle, and he's he's yeah. like he's like that line. So right now because I have the injuries still have affected Baker. I have yeah. him after guys like Tua and Mac Jones and Wentz because I haven't seen that he's not going to come back Correct. and be different. Yep. So until that happens, it's kind of like Watson. People who yeah. put him in the top five already, I'm like, him and Dak are literally 1% away in like every metric. Yep. So, it's, 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 so I'm like – you can't put one in the top five and say the other one's not even top 10. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. So uh, until I could see Baker comes back and again, that's the argument right now. Maybe he does because he has some weapons, but who knows um, his mentality has got to be pretty bad the last year and a half, man. So I don't, it depends if he could bounce back from that. Yeah. That's like a, that's like a real gut check for him. Cause you know, his, his ego is so big. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and, and then- he's been, so quiet the last seven months yeah it's and it's funny that they that the browns play the panthers week one so it's almost Uh, like it's almost like you're gonna get like you know i don't know if you remember the oklahoma versus kansas game when he was in college and he grabbed his nuts i don't know if you remember i'm like are we gonna get that version of baker mayfield so that i mean that's gonna be something to tune into that that might be like a you know like a like a Jim Nance, Tony Romo game, even though yeah, it's that's gonna, the Browns and Panthers. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like the first game, 10 AM over here in Pacific time, yeah. but everybody's going to watch it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So let's get in a little bit of Cowboys stuff here. Uh, how did you, a kid from Washington become a Cowboys fan? So being born in Montana, there's no team. So mm-hmm. I didn't have any real team to root for. Obviously the Seahawks are pretty close. It depends on which direction you go, Colorado, whatever. So my dad's a Cowboys fan, diehard. Um, and at first, when I was younger, because I'm, after doing all the ancestry DNA and stuff, I'm uh, 20% native. And I have native tattoos everywhere. This side, sorry. Native tattoos everywhere. Um, so I love the, the red skin because they had the logo. Yeah. And so I was like, I like them, dad. Because, but... I remember watching this game and we were still in Montana. This is one of those things I remember. We we're in a duplex, um, single story. Well, had a basement, but in Montana, Great Falls. And he goes, nope. He's like, no son of mine is going to be a damn Redskins fan. Uh, you're a fucking Cowboys fan starting today. And I love me and my dad were so close. And I was his first born and tats at the hip. So I just watched Cowboys games all the time with him. And uh, that's literally how it began. And then fast forward, my brother is almost 10 years younger than me. And his name is Dallas, uh, named after the Cowboys. So 
Uh, he's mentally challenged, uh, so he doesn't get it as much as like the rest of us, but he's still there enough. He loves the Cowboys, all of that stuff. So that's how I did it. And then when I came back from the military, it was 2012, mm-hmm. March 31st, and people were going ape shit over the Seahawks because they were good for first time in ever, like almost ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, since like large days and a couple of Matt Hassel back years, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and Sean Alexander, who people yeah. don't even know about that are Seahawks fans now, but anyways, uh, they're like, I just got so sick of it. I'm like, dude, where were you guys in high school? None of you were Seahawks fans. Nobody rooted for them. They did have their loyal fans because they always sold out and mm-hmm. they are like the 12th man type thing, you know, yep. we're always loud, but dude, you never talked to people, but I was in the college and dude, everybody, Seahawks sweater, Jersey, shorts, sweater. Well, whatever. And I was like, where was all this? And then they died off a little bit and they start, people start jumping again. And then they got good again a little bit. They came back. And so I just hated the Seahawks, man. Uh, I'm a diehard Mariners fan. Uh, Cause I grew up with Griffey, Buner, A-Rod, Johnson, okay. Mora, yeah. all of them. So, you know, it's like, uh, I love the Mariners, uh, but it's been rough man but i hate seattle dude like uh, i'm so glad i don't i think russell wilson's kind of turned into a douche um since he got married to ciara or sierra or pronounce it uh good looking girl but uh she's kind of bitchy and he's kind of turned into that like he was never that hood type of uh her her ex future like and he's kind of tried to do that for a while with the cornrows and he looks so weird and yeah but it's like he kind of has this attitude now, like I'm too good for Seattle because I need to go somewhere bigger. Um, and I don't know if Denver's the answer, but um, <laughs> he's, uh, I loved it though, when he left Seattle, because now all the Seahawks fans are like, Oh, Russell was this and that. And I'm like, dude, he's the best quarterback you guys have ever had in the history of the Seahawks. Yeah. And now you guys are all butthurt because he didn't want to stay. And, and yeah. I agree, they should have got rid of him probably two years ago. But uh, I think Pete Carroll's also a reason, but I cannot stand the Seahawks. And my wife's a Seahawks fan. So that's the, uh, getting into that, that's the only Cowboys game I've ever been to live was Cowboys versus Seahawks at CenturyLink uh, in 2018 when we lost to them in the regular season, but we beat them in the playoffs. So who really won? <laughs> yeah so like uh what was it so to go off like that russell wilson thing how you said everyone is like saying stuff about him now, i've heard that a lot the past two days with with cleveland people you know because there was like the whole you know baker bros like yeah you know oh, yeah. Like, like i said like you know he was he was anointed the next jesus and then all of a sudden like yeah. oh, he wasn't that good anyways <laughs> i almost posted so last year and i still follow the guy on twitter so I'm, and he follows me and, and so he's a huge browns fan good account man uh but him and another random follower of his were trying just arguing and bashing me for dogging on baker last beginning of the season i think or off season mm-hmm. right before the season but fast forward now they're like oh you know the same guys he's not bashing baker but he's not supporting baker so it's like they're like have you seen baker because someone mentioned something like have you seen baker try to throw a check down because they said something about CMC. So he's pretty much dogging Baker checking the ball down. But yeah. I'm like, dude, just less than a year. I could go back and pull the tweets up, but I won't. 
that you were just defending him so hard. Top 10 quarterback. That's what they were saying. And I had him about 13 before going into last year. So I didn't Mm -hmm. have him like way out of the top 10. But I was like, dude, there's still just that next step he has to take. Just like Dak, I I think he's on the verge of top five, but he's not there yet because I think there's something he has to do in the postseason to take that next step. So it's not just one quarterback. Like, I think, like you said, Baker's, if you have a quarterback worse than Baker, you need to find somebody. If you have one better than him, he's probably a franchise guy. Yep. Uh, so I think Baker has the ability. It's just, will he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, oh, shit, what was I going to say? I, f- I kind of forget what I was going to say here. Uh, so basically you're, like I said earlier, you're an analytical advanced stats kind of guy. Uh, what recommend, what recommendations would you give um, to someone that say like the Monday morning quarterbacks that was, that are all over Twitter, you know, uh, what what, what kind of information would you give them? So they're my, my favorite because they're very inconsistent. They don't use the same standard for everybody. I actually just tweeted something this morning or last night is this morning that, no, I can't remember. It's last night, maybe, but like the standard you use for Dak needs to be used for every quarterback and I said by that logic and this is sad this is just being sarcasm I was like Joe Burrow has Mixon Boyd Chase uh Boyd Chase Mixon and who's the other one Higgs Higgins T Higgins Higgins I'm like why could I forget his name all of a sudden uh and I was like so I was like by that reasoning and your guys's version of deck Burrow is made because of the rest of his team, yeah. which I don't think is a hundred percent true at all, but I am just using the same logic. Everybody else uses for Dak until you then look at the specific player. Amari's overpaid. Lamb hasn't lived up to expectations. Zeke is washed. And it's like, which one is it? So those are the Monday morning quarterbacks in my eyes, because they don't hold the same standard for everybody. But what I would tell them is context matters Yeah, because people will be like, look at uh, Lamar's win. He's a winner. I'm like, but quarterbacks don't get statistics for winning. It's not a quarterback stat because they don't, can they affect the game? Absolutely. That's why they're ranked as a top 10 or not guy, but wins don't come down to just the quarterback. So it's not a quarterback stat because then we just need to start giving wins to kickers then because look at some of the big moments kickers have had. Why is that not a, yeah like is, is Vanderjeck not a, got wins then yeah. is you know uh so I'm just like whatever uh you, they're not consistent so my thing is like if you're going to be one of those guys that goes in the office or starts bsing on Twitter be consistent like if you're going to hate Dak because of his weapons hate Burrow hate Herbert hate mm. Brady in Tampa Bay maybe not at all of his years in New England I said, but hate Aaron Rodgers for Devontae Adams. I was like, you got to hate everybody. I said, you can't just say one quarterback's good. I said, because when you look at it, statistically, Dak is actually a top five quarterback since he came to the league. But nobody wants to look at that because he's like, oh, he's had the weapons. I'm like, what, since 2018, halfway through the year? Like, (laughs) he had one receiver. He made Randall Cobb. He made – well, Cole Beasley did a little well still. But he made uh, so many – people around him look a little bit better is he the next tom brady or like aaron Rodgers? no but he's not what people are saying 12 13 yeah 
So to me, it's like, you got to just balance it out. You can't just have one set of rules for a quarterback because you don't like him and then ignore it because you like Lamar Jackson or something to that nature. Yeah. It's crazy because like last year before, before his injury, he was, he was literally the best quarterback in the league. I think he would have smashed a couple records if he would have, because the amount, like he was just feeling himself. He was on fire. He Mm -hmm. wasn't missing. The the big thing is Dak never turns the ball over, like in the grand scheme of things. He has one of the lowest turnover percentages of any quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, ungodly, like four interceptions last year is different, but Dak has never thrown double digit interceptions, has he? I don't think he's ever thrown 10. Uh, now his big thing was his fumbles and that was his sweaty hands so yeah uh, but like but like the Aaron Rodgers thing that always comes back and bites him because I th- I always said like he he focuses too much on the individual stats like he's shooting for those yeah. numbers and that comes back and hurts them because like you you see like in the playoffs game like he's not making throws because he's actually afraid nope. to hurt that yeah. stat he doesn't want to be that quarterback that does that and so. uh to have two of the almost unanimous top 10 quarterbacks in the last 30 years and have two Super Bowls and Aaron Rodgers won his what in 06? 11 years ago. No, yeah, it was 2011. So 11? Okay. Yeah, 2011. So it's like, I'm like I, way before I was, no, 06, Favre was still playing. I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, so, uh, but yeah, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and he hasn't done jack since then. He makes it to the NFC championship game every year. Yeah. Okay. But, he gets a bye playing in the NFC North. <laughs> playing against, like, against the Bears and the Lions. Just like, just like Brady. If you would have put Brady in a different division, he might have won a, a Super Bowl or two, but he's not winning seven. Uh, look at him this year. Who's his competition in the NFC South? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, really. Right, yeah. So it's like, it's like yeah. And, yeah, and, okay, the NFC East has been – pretty shitty the last two years but there hasn't been a repeat division winner since 2006 seven i think or something like that nine yeah. so it's like crazy um it's just to me i just want people to be consistent it's my big thing and twitter it's so hard because you you can only type so much and then people will take it the way they want to take it yeah. or they ignore a stat or five that you supply i do have some canned ones that i'm like here have those because they're true but they're easy to disprove whatever someone's saying and they'll nor the black but what about this and i'm like now you're just moving the goalpost yeah and it's not just about like Dak. like yes i'm a huge Dak guy but like you said Minshew stan like dude Minshew is a top 20 quarterback mm-hmm. in this league but nobody wants to admit it because he played for jacksonville mm-hmm. Minshew should have never been dicked over in jacksonville yeah. They just thought Trevor Lawrence was the next great thing. And he had one of the worst rookie years in history that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe besides Zach Wilson, who knows? Yeah, you could, you could put Minshew on a, a handful of teams and make them playoff contenders. So you're looking like the Colts that they could have used him. They could have got him cheap maybe. too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're talking about the whole Baker thing to Seattle. That never happened. Like you're rolling into the, you're rolling into the season as of right now. You know, with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. <laughs> yeah, and now they're saying, oh, Sam Darnold to Seattle. I'm like, I would call the Eagles, who have one year left for like $500,000, I think he's making. Yeah. 650 who knows? But less than a million for and one year. he's a hometown year. kid. Yeah, so I'm like, why would you not do that? 
And I was like, he went to WSU, which is the better school, no matter what Cam says. Uh, not academically, but in everybody's hearts and minds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. to, to, to get to this point where, like, you know, you're telling people. So the first, let me hit this first, like, I don't, I don't even waste my time arguing with people anymore because people are never going to change their perception. It is yeah. very, like, you're going to find maybe like 2% of people who. I've gotten better at that. Yeah. When I was first on Twitter and even up until probably halfway through last season, it was every day, all day. Yeah. And then now I will start typing something and just be like, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, like, so, yeah. so. Uh, like what, what are you, oh, so tell people what resources you use to find and validate your points that you use. So I did make a, an in-depth spreadsheet this year and it took me like a week of every quarterback who had 200 and I think it was 25 plus attempts and 10 plus starts. Mm -hmm. And I used everything. So the big thing is pro football reference easy because they have so many stats advanced stats the advanced yep. stats only go back to 2018 but still like they didn't start till then but i use that uh next gen stats depending on what you're looking at like deep ball completion percentage is a big one for there um so i use that uh actually if you want to just stay on twitter you can at stats bot twitter mm -hmm. um I, there's a certain format you have to go look up but they'll answer any of your questions um, and then just the random ones, football outsiders, uh, people are like, Oh, I'm going to use PFF. I'm like, the only thing PFF is good for College. is, yeah, is clickbait and, um, a little bit of their offensive line rankings. Some of it's okay. Some of the quarterback metrics I think are okay. But outside of that, when you have Stefan, not Stefan, Trevon Diggs ranked as your until the last part of the season, he was ranked in the hundred something cornerbacks in the league. And I think he finished in the seventies in their model. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't, I'm not going to use somebody who all of a sudden started caring about yards after catch or yards allowed or whatever, because it was a Cowboys player mm. when he is one of like 13 people in history, nine people to have double digit interceptions like in a season. And so, and it, they're the only one that has them over a thousand plus yards given up. You yep. look at other places that do it. It's like 800, 900. So it's like, I can't use places like that, but you just, the big ones like next, like I said, next gen stats, PFR team rankings.com um, and football outsiders. They're all pretty good. If you're looking at fantasy wise, I'm a big fantasy pros guy. Um, Cause I'm in so many fantasy leagues. So I use them for a lot of fantasy stuff. But yeah, dude, there, and there's accounts out there on Facebook, not Facebook. Don't go to Facebook. It's accessible. <laughs> I do that for football. <laughs> yeah, not for football. Uh, I, I'd rather go to Reddit for football <laughs> than Facebook. Uh, Twitter. There's accounts you can find on Twitter, man, that are good with that kind of stuff. Real or fantasy, dynasty, whatever kind of fantasy you're into for football. But yeah, dude, you just got to, you can't use one place like PFF who's super biased. So that's why I try to use different sources. Yep. Uh, Stathead, which is ran by Pro Football Reference, is easy to compare two different players, yep. stuff like that. And that's and that's where it comes into the combination is like, okay, is Lamar Jackson good on the field? It depends. Like if you if he's running the ball, I think he running back or quarterback I think he's one of the better 
guys running the ball in the, in the league. Yeah. But if you're telling me he's playing quarterback and they're stacking the box and they're shutting him down, which they have started doing, they haven't completely taken away, but they're getting better at it. Can he make the throw? Yes, he has the arm strength, but look at his accuracy. Look at his advanced deep ball completion percentage or targeting X receiver, Y receiver, whatever it is, or is a red zone completion percentage is near the bottom of the league. Like you start looking at all that stuff and you're like, okay, I see the flashy moments, but then when I need X, Y, or Z, he's Mm -hmm. complete dog shit. So to me, I still have him ranked inside the top 15, but I'm not taking him in a situation where I need him to throw the ball and everybody knows he's going to throw the ball. Yeah. So that's where I think a combination of the two, like the Monday morning quarterbacks who just want to look at the, the box score, yeah. the advanced stats will help you. Like, yeah, Lamar ran for 112 yards, but he threw for 74. Like, and he had 20 attempts. Like, uh, like, you can't tell me he's a top 10 quarterback when he's not good at being an actual quarterback most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has some big throws. But every quarterback, I could give you the shittiest quarterback in the league. Uh, let's say, you know, Sam Darnold, who everybody hates. He had some good throws last year. Carson Zach Wentz. Wilson had said good throws last year. But can you do it on a consistent basis? They are pros for a reason. They're good at what they do. But how good are they at what they do compared to the field? Yeah. That's where I think people fall short. And I'm not 100% right all the time. I said Sam Darnold was going to be a top 10 quarterback last year. That was one of my worst takes ever. Like, he absolutely was not. <laughs> he was good so, the first four games until McCaffrey got out hurt. Dude, when I was – the first four weeks, I was feeling myself. I was like, Sam Darnold, retweeting it every week. <laughs> week six rolls around, and I'm like, ah, the worst thing I've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to piggyback off what you said, Stat Muse is a good one. Uh, yeah, oh, the, yeah. The, that's, that's one I just recently started using because they, you could specifically be like, Dak Prescott's record versus the Washington Commanders, and it yep. tells you all, and percentage and completion. So that's a good one. And they have an app, so that's also a plus. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I started using that one recently, too, because it keeps popping up on Google now. Yeah, and uh, I really like uh, next-gen stats for the QB grids. I don't yes. know if you've ever looked at the QB grid where it shows you, like, the nine – the nine different sections to so yeah, get like your where, short, intermediate, long, and their and like their 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 QB yeah. rating for those sections because it completely destroyed. Dak cannot throw the ball more than ten yards. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so, like, of course, and I'm like, he's been in the top like ten in deep ball completion percentage almost every year. So, but it it's it is what it is because people, like you said, most of them won't change their mind or they'll stop responding to you when you 100 yeah. percent proven them wrong. Yep. <laughs> So a little bit back to the Cowboy stuff here. Uh, so you said you've been to, you've been to CenturyLink, and obviously you probably want to go to AT&T Stadium. But where, what other stadiums do you want to visit? I think historically you have to say Soldier Field and Lambeau Field because mm-hmm. just the history, uh, even maybe a cold weather game, which uh, I'm not go. huge on cold weather. Let's I go. could do it, but I'm not huge on it. Um. My buddies is a, my buddy Dave. He's in the military still. Is a huge. He's the guy who's a Ohio everything. Browns, Ohio State. If they're not playing, he'll be like, go Bowling Green, whatever, 
or or whatever they are. Maybe Bowling Green's in Kentucky. Who knows? No, I live outside Bowling Green. It's the Falcons. Oh, okay. Respect, man. That's where Scotty yeah, Miller I, played. That's where Scotty yeah, Miller played. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to check out the Browns just because of him. But if I had to go outside of that, um, all the new stadiums, I think just state of the art is a C. But if I think the old school Soldier Field and Lambeau Field are on my top. And if I'm thinking like anywhere else, like probably Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. I think that would be a good one I want to go to. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good one. Um, like Orchard Park would be a good one, Bills. Yeah. Just just for the fans alone. I mean, yeah, they, I, they get cold, they get cold games, but just for the fans alone, that'd be that'd yeah, be Bills so Mafia in fun. general. Yeah. So what's your you have um uh, what's your favorite memory of the Cowboys besides the three Super Bowls? I'll never forget it, man. Uh week nine of two thousand nine. Austin, Miles Austin, 250 Austin, yards, three touchdowns, I think, maybe two. Mm-hmm. But I was drunk as shit in Okinawa, Japan. And we're a day ahead over there. So it's yeah. like four in the morning. I'm in the day room, which is like a common area, yeah. you know. And I'm like, I crushed nine bottles of champagne to myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm in there with my buddy Laxanen and this girl, Ashley Fleischer who I was seeing at the time. And I'm just belligerently wild because Miles Austin is eating Kansas City for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like 50-yard catch, 27-yard catch, like touchdown, dude, week nine. And I was so stoked because 2009 was still like, Cowboys hadn't had a lot of success yet because Romo had only been there for what, two and a half seasons, maybe. Yeah, 2006 he came, right? Yep so halfway through so it was like three years maybe he was there you know playing and it just dude I was so stoked um obviously I still remember the Super Bowl barely the last one but I was young um but that one that sticks out 2009 man uh obviously some negative ones the Romo fumble and like uh Des caught it thing but to yeah that one that's probably my most fondest memory because they Cause like, I remember like I, he scored like his last touchdown or it was a big play and I jump up and Ashley was sitting on my lap and she falls over and she's on the ground. I didn't even care. I was just like, Cowboys for life, you know, <laughs> just stoked <laughs> on the game. And one of the officers, he was, he's a Kansas city fan. So Ooh. I gave him so much shit when I saw him, it was the best thing. Um, but we haven't, I don't even remember how the 2009 season ended. So. probably disappointment <laughs> if it's anything like recent history <laughs> yeah all right so we're gonna hurry up and get out of here uh because i know you got things to do i got stuff to do so last two questions you name them i'll tag them top three underrated twitter follows underrated so i say underrated i kept it ten thousand people or less but i still think they're underrated the biggest one mike reedy at mike m-i-k-e-r-e-e-d-y-f-f Mike Reedy FF, and he has about 5,000 followers. Dude's amazing at fantasy and NFL in general. Okay. The dude is just general knowledge in person. He's a good dude. Uh, talked to him a lot on there. Don't know him personally yet, but that is probably my top one. He's only at like 5,000 followers. I think it should be like 15 at least. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, these ones are a little bit bigger, like 9,500 is uh, his name's Scott Simpson. A lot of people already know him in the community. 
but it's at nimble, it's N-I-M-B-L-E-W, and then the word numbers. So Nimblu or something, numbers. I don't even know how to pronounce this tag. Okay. But dude runs a lot of best ball. He's huge into fantasy. The dude, like if you know his daughter's story of how she's, I believe she, she just beat cancer recently. So um, her. London is her name. Uh, amazing dude. He's a teacher as well. So he's good. Uh, he has no allegiance. He does have a favorite team, but you couldn't tell who it is unless you pay attention. So he's good at everything. If just analysis, he's funny. He makes good parody stuff. And then the last one, who is the slightly the biggest one of the three, you might already follow. I think you follow him, Kevin at the boys, D A B O Y S underscore 22, Kevin, another fellow teacher, but he is amazing cowboy content creator even better at fantasy. The dude is just so real and so humble. Those are my, they're all humble guys. Uh, I think Scott, the second one is a little more spicy than the other two. He'll, he'll snap back uh, at people more than the others, but those are underrated. Uh, I tried to keep it even lower, but I was like, man, I was like, even though these guys have five, 10,000, it's just underrated. I feel like these guys could be the next big things on Twitter or writing for a company or something. Yep. And they all are commission. What's that fantasy football like commission? They like you get a letter and you're part of the. I don't know what it's called, but I think Scott and Mike are. I don't know if Kevin is, but the other two are. So, so if you're into fantasy, those guys are huge. But they also do other things. It's just I Twitter. I'm literally there for fantasy and football in general. I don't yep. do college football, so if you hate me for that, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I just watch players and not teams. Yeah. Uh, except for Cam, because we're both from Washington, and she knows Eastern Washington's better. Um, so, or All Eastern, right. not Eastern, as in the school. Even though Cooper Cup did come from Eastern um, here in Washington, he's like the only major player I could think of from there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, those three for sure. Awesome. So, last question, and I'm not going to judge you based on your response here. What is the best sandwich combination you can make with leftovers after the holidays? Dude, I'm a simpleton, man. I think mayonnaise with turkey uh, and, dude, salt and pepper and cheese if you want it. Uh, I'm easy. The white the white meat, not dark meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, that's me, man. Uh, Sandwich-wise, I think that's the only one I make a sandwich out of besides maybe some ham. So uh, I don't know, man. People get creative out there, but for me, it's just that, man. Because you can only eat turkey for so long after the holidays because there's so much. Throw, hey, just just a tip. Throw a little stuffing on that sandwich. There throw we little, go. Yeah I've, yeah, I've heard that. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm a simple guy. When I read that, I was like, I think that's the only one I could think of, man, except, like, I do love putting chips on sandwiches, too. So, I guess that yep. happens. <laughs> hey, man, you can't beat it. All right, so we're, let's get out of here. Where again can we find you at on Twitter, writing, podcast, YouTube, whatever you got? So, just the main Twitter is at CassidyAce89, and that's my Twitter handle, and then the NFC uh, unfiltered. So it's called at East unfiltered is a big one. Um, and uh, I mean, if you guys like it straight up, my account, that account, those are the things the podcast, like I don't sit there and Homer. Uh, yeah. If the Cowboys are sucking, I'm going to say they suck. If they're doing good and someone's trying to say like Dak sucks and he's like the 15th best quarterback, I ain't having it. All right. <laughs> and someone says Lamar's a top five run running back. I'll agree. And if they say he's a top five quarterback, I'm not having it. 
Oh, man. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on today. And as always, go Cowboys.